live from beyond the Beltway. This is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumored innuendo all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by Middle East scholar Benjamin Rad from UCLA. John Allen Williams, Professor Emeritus from Loyola University and expert in military and national security. And in our second hour, a focus on campaign 2024 with Tom Bevan, the editor and founder of Real Clear Politics and Robin Johnson of Monmouth College. Our program tonight coming to you from our Elk Grove Village, Illinois offices just outside Chicago from the studios of AM560 WIND radio phone lines open at one 800 723 8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. And uh, tonight, again, we've got a split show. First hour is going to talk about uh, foreign affairs and military actions involving uh, the United States. And in the second hour, we'll talk about politics and the big story uh, emanating out of uh, the state of Iowa, the, the bitter cold state of Iowa, uh, the frozen state of Iowa tonight on the eve of their big caucus. But I begin tonight, we have, we have two great guests, in, in, uh, in actually in both hours. But I want to begin first of all by welcoming Benjamin Rad. Uh, he is a lecturer at UCLA and John Allen Williams. Uh, he is a, a professor emeritus uh, and he joins us from uh, uh, Georgia. So gentlemen, uh, welcome to Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us. And uh, again, John, your area of expertise is primarily military and uh, Benjamin is more of a, a broader historian in the area. And so I'm going to begin with, with Benjamin by asking the question because since uh, the uh, the October uh, Hamas attack uh, on Israel, uh, there have been at least 130 uh, incidents of Iran-backed militias striking U.S. forces uh, throughout the Middle East. And that includes about about 27 attacks on commercial shipping in the Red Sea, and those have been attributed to the Houthi militias. And a lot of people might not know who the Houthis are, and so I want to begin by asking you the question, uh, who are they and, and what do they want? Thank you for having me back on. So the Houthis are a, a militia group, a, a tribal group in the northern parts of Yemen. They believe in a version of Islam that is related to Shia Islam, which mm-hmm. is the dominant form of Islam in Iran, and makes them a minority on the Arabian Peninsula and, accordingly, a cause for concern for the Saudis, who share a border with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they exist pretty much, they, they have a flag, and their flag has five phrases on it, and that those five phrases pretty much captures their mission statement. And it begins with um, uh, glory to God, death to America, death to Israel, curse upon the Jews, and um, uh, Islam is victorious, or victory through Islam, mm-hmm. something along those lines. Basically, that, that's effectively all they stand for. So and they're not, they're they not, looking, they're not moderates. <laughs> they are not moderates. <laughs> they, right, they're right. They're more of like the ISIS strain, except they're okay. a Shia variation rather than Sunni. So okay. basically, they've been waging a low-level civil war against the Yemeni central government, backed by the Saudis and uh, recognized by the international community. Um, and they succeeded over about eight years in really taking control of the majority of the country. And uh, my question to you, follow-up question to you, would be. Uh, 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 how many are there? Do we know the population of of that group? Uh, there's, um, 
I want to say several t- tens of thousands. I don't know if there's an exact estimate as to how many they are and, and how many others have since sort of followed them and joined them. Uh, the core group that, that has operating out of the northern strongholds, I think numbers in the, in the several thousands at least. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking the senior you know, leadership and the core fighters. And then there's just followers that they have uh, throughout um, Yemen, the parts of Yemen that they have not fully mm-hmm. taken control of okay. uh, remain uh, outstanding. John Williams, uh, we, we welcome you and ask the question to you is, uh, we've had these uh, military attacks or these attacks on U.S. servicemen. Those basically have been uh, in barracks around the Middle East. But then there is this uh, with the Houthis. Uh, they have gone a- after international shipping, uh, and, 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 and the U.S. has knocked down, uh, shot down a lot of their drones. But obviously this past week, uh, President Biden and the United Kingdom and other countries, they decided that they were going to take a stronger uh, you know, uh, retaliation against the Houthis. So my question to you is, what can you tell us about the, the military operations of the Houthis and, uh, and the strength of the United States and other allies uh, to uh, continue to uh, shoot them down as they attempt to stop uh, you know, international shipping? Well, <clears throat> hi, Bruce. So thanks for having me on. Good. Uh, well, the Houthis have a significant military capability that's given to them by Iran. Not because Iran tells them what to do, but Iran knows that they will use it to uh, do uh, uh, to, to, to do things that would be uh, upsetting to the status quo there, and that would be anti-Israel, anti-U.S., which suits Iran fine. Right. On the other hand, they can't control them really either. Once you give them cruise missiles, ballistic missiles, uh, and uh, uh, other rockets, they are uh, they're going to make some attacks, and Iran may not like that. But this is all Iran's doing in terms of being able to facilitate them doing that kind of thing. And as Professor Rod pointed out, these are not the kind of people that we are going to win their hearts and minds. Uh, This is a military operation. Mm -hmm. What they did by attacking ships, including uh, a U.S. ship, uh, these are acts of war, and we are entitled Mm -hmm. to strike back. And, and we, we have finally done so. And in this case, would it be safe to say, Benjamin, that uh, that this likely would not have happened had there not been the Hamas attack on Israel and Israel's subsequent response to it? Not necessarily. I mean, this is the 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 Hamas attack and Israel's response is a pretext, uh, is an excuse for them to do this. This is something that. Uh, Iran has, through its proxies, of which the Houthis are one, has been agitating and um, provoking Israel, the United States, and other allies in that region for for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And what this did is it gave an opportunity for the Houthis then to, you know, through Iran, uh, for the Houthis to exercise their ability to cause problems and to agitate and um, uh, instigate against Israel. This is something that they that they would have done. The question is, would they have done it now? Not necessarily now, but it did give them an opportunity and an excuse to act sooner. What is the relationship between the Houthis and Hezbollah and Hamas? What is the communication between those three entities? So the common denominator amongst all of them is the uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, which is a paramilitary sort of separate branch of government within the Iranian political system. And the Revolutionary Guard Corps uh, is accountable and answerable really only to the Supreme Leader. 
So it sits separate from the main military and the um, uh, the president and parliament. So it, it, it's not part of the civilian uh, chain of command there to the extent that there is one. And its job is to export the Islamic revolution around the world, or at least into neighboring areas where there are Shia population and those who are receptive to it. And so Iran exercises its, projects its power. It doesn't do so directly. It does it through the Guard Corps support and training mm-hmm. of militias throughout the Middle East, Hezbollah, okay. Hamas, and the Houthis. When we come back, I want to ask Professor Williams a little bit more about the military strength of those three entities. They're obviously, they're all getting their, their support from Iran. I want to know about the capability that they have to do harm to the United States, Israel, and the world. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. We can tell you about the incredible success we bring to local businesses, but it's better when it comes directly from our satisfied clients. Here's just one example. After searching for a new vendor to handle my search marketing campaign, I contacted Salem Surround after seeing the great work they did for another restoration company in the different market. Their team of experts recommended a mix of multiple tactics designed to get my business the most quality leads at the lowest cost, making my marketing budget stretch further. In our first year partnering with Salem Surround, we recorded our best year to date, and I've told many people how blessed I was to find them. The representative answered the phone every time I called and quickly addressed any questions or concerns I had. Let Salem Surround give you an absolutely free audit of your current marketing and show you what your competition is doing. Then we can come up with a personalized plan that's perfect for your needs. Visit SurroundChicago.com and let our marketing experts help you achieve real success. Remember to visit SurroundChicago.com today. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit TalkAboutVaping.org. That's TalkAboutVaping.org. 
Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Nice to have you with us this evening. John Allen Williams is one of our guests, along with Benjamin Rad, and uh, we're talking about uh, the Houthis and also the attacks on U.S. military forces in the wake of the uh, Israeli-Hamas uh, war. Uh, John Allen Williams is a emeritus professor from Loyola University, Chicago. He is also author of the book, U.S. National Security, Policymakers, Processes, and politics. It's in the sixth edition, so it's very well known within the academic community. And uh, John, my question to you before the break was, when we look at the Houthis and we look at uh, Hamas and we look at Hezbollah, what can you tell us about the military strength that each of those three entities has? Yes. Uh, Professor Rod has a more difficult uh, challenge tonight because the politics are just incredibly Byzantine and complex. Right. And I, I agree with everything that he said so far, as far as I know. The military business is, is fairly straightforward, although the Israelis were surprised uh, by uh, Hamas's ability to put together the kind of attack they did on October 7th. And in an earlier attack as, uh, against, uh, in, against Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, they found out that Hezbollah was much better than they realized. Hezbollah is, the, is a much more dangerous military competitor for Israel. Um, they have uh, estimated... Uh, uh, 25,000 uh, fighters, 20 to 30,000 reservists. Maybe, uh, estimates range from 40 to 150,000 rockets. So uh, it, Hezbollah, if they launched all the rockets that Iran has provided them, could uh, be launching a devastating attack against northern Israel, which is why many of the uh, areas there have been uh, evacuated. for. Is they, is it, are they primarily based in Lebanon? They're in southern Lebanon. That's okay. where they are. Where are the now, others okay. primarily based? Well, it, the Houthis are in Yemen. We we accomplished or acknowledged that in our in our first segment. But uh, yeah, what about the others? Well, Hamas is uh, is endemic to to the Gaza Strip. Uh, okay. When uh, Israel left there in two thousand two, I believe uh, Professor Rod could correct me on the date. Uh, and the Palestinian Authority was governing that area, uh-huh. but soon won the election, and then they they took it over, and then Hamas uh, was uh, and remains irreconcilable in terms of Israel's existence, and uh, this, they uh, launched rockets against Israel rather quickly. Okay, and uh, but Israel thought that they had uh, calmed down a little bit. They the, it was a massive intelligence failure. They knew what the uh, uh, Hamas was planning a year ahead of time. It had been leaked, but no one believed they could actually do it. Okay. And it was, in uh, effect, a failure of imagination as well yeah, as right. intelligence. Let, let me mention tonight, because we have two uh, professors on, uh, one uh, in, in Los Angeles, the other in Georgia. Uh, if you disagree with each other at any point during this discussion, you don't have to wait for me to ask you about that. You f- feel free to jump in with it, but I, I don't necessarily think we will have that uh, tonight. Let me also mention that for technical reasons, we are radio only tonight. Beyond the Beltway tonight is a radio show. 
uh, from coast to coast. But you can also get the audio portion of it, as you usually do, on, on your Facebook Live, my Facebook Live account, Beyond the Beltway's Facebook Live account, or via uh, YouTube. So again, we're out there, but no, no, uh, no pictures tonight. Don't have your close your eyes like in the old days of radio and just imagine what everybody looks like. P- Professor Rad, back to you. Uh, I had asked earlier about the the communication and the coordination between these three entities. Um, it seems to me that maybe each of them, in their own way, tries to outdo the other because they want to be the closest to Iran. Uh, is there anything truth about that? Is there truth to that? Well, really, they they tend to cooperate. They're referred to as the part of the axis of resistance, which okay. is the name for the various proxy groups that operate under the Iranian Revolutionary Guard umbrella. And it's oftentimes it's they they would prefer to work in tandem if they can. We saw this, for example, where the Hamas leadership in Gaza had expected after the October seventh attacks for Hezbollah to join by attacking Israel right. from the north mm-hmm. and taking more aggressive maneuvers. That didn't happen. And so what we're seeing then is not necessarily a coordination collaboration, and they're not competing with each other, but they are at the same time not in lockstep with their objectives. Okay. And uh, you mentioned we're talking about three this evening. Uh, are there others that we should be hearing about in the future that are also vying for uh, uh, you know, support from Iran or elsewhere? As far as the Shia groups, uh, you have really the, the militias that are located, uh, militia groups in Iraq, in Syria, the Shia-based ones that are uh, initially were part of the campaign to push ISIS out of those regions and have now, since ISIS has left, have essentially rejoined Iran in its efforts mm-hmm. to cause problems for Americans and coalition forces. So, no, the other groups that would be of, of, of importance are Sunni-based groups that are a separate conversation. Do you have an opinion as to why uh, Hezbollah has, has not been as aggressive in responding uh, to help Hamas as they have been? Is it surprising? The you? last time... Yeah, the last time Hezbollah engaged Israel uh, aggressively led to a devastating war with Lebanon, which had huge consequences for the Lebanese people. And whatever popularity or initial surge in popularity Hezbollah enjoyed was was then long lost because the Lebanese people were left to really clean up the country and deal with the destruction, the deaths, the casualties, the chaos that resulted after the war ended. So the lesson here was that Hezbollah was was humbled and humiliated by the Lebanese people's response to their efforts to engage Israel directly. And it's one of the reasons why they're not going to do it again, at least not quickly, because the Lebanese people as a whole have little tolerance and patience or appetite for another war with Israel. And anything Hezbollah does will drag the rest of Lebanon in. So whereas us uh, in the West, we in the West, we may view all three of them as um, singularly against the United States, which may be true. They each have their own independence, and uh, again, they hate the United States and they hate Israel, but again, each of them will look to different reasons why they should jump into any conflict that exists. Is that a fair assessment? I want to get I want to get your response, Benjamin, and then go to John. Benjamin? Yeah, that is— yeah, that is that is a fair assessment. I mean, Iran is able to influence what they do, when they do it, and how they do it, but only to an extent. They do have independent leadership, but nevertheless, their weaponry, their their training, their capabilities, all of them come from the Iranian regime. 
John, uh, your reaction, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. They are looking after their own interests, which aren't necessarily the same. They have they agree on they dislike Israel, they dislike the United States, and they are motivated by their version of, of the religion. Uh, but uh, they are interested also in their own self-preservation. Uh, the, the Houthis are, are finding out pretty quickly that if you mess around, you find out. There comes a point when uh, we have vastly superior military forces, and mm-hmm. we're willing to use them. Uh, we have we had two, and now we have one aircraft carrier in the region with uh, with the uh, military power of a small state able to direct that power at at Hezbollah if they if they attack northern Israel. And I believe that we would actually do that. We would get involved. So if it's all self-preservation, if a lot of it. If all three entities, we, we know that Hamas is fighting Israel, we know that uh, Yemen is, is doing their thing uh, on the sea lanes, if all three got together in a coordinated effort, um, would that demand future retaliation by the United States and, uh, and, and, and the Western powers? Oh, against, against Iran or against them against, separately? Against Iran. Either, either well, against them individually or against Iran. I mean, if Iran is the supplier of all three of these menaces out there, um, I guess people would argue why are we why are we spending time and munitions on the on the small potatoes when uh, you know if you go to the, the the heart of the problem, you cut that off. Does that make any well, sense you know, militarily? You you don't want to shoot down the arrows. You want to get the archer. So I, I understand right. that feeling. But uh, going after Iran is a very very different matter. Uh, Iran is a, a very powerful state, and nobody wants to start a war with Iran directly. And Iran is doing these things through proxies because they don't want to have a war with the United States. I right. think they all agree on that. Now, could they slip into a conflict with one another? Absolutely. You know, it's certainly, do, it could happen. No how, one should want to. John, a question to you and then to Benjamin. How do, how do these three entities how do they react to, or what is their opinion of Russia, and where does where does Russia fit into this discussion at all, if it does? Well, Russia, of course, is making trouble where it can and wants to increase its footprint in the in the region. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, when the United Nations was debating a resolution against the the Houthis, uh, uh, the Russian foreign minister uh, to talk to the. Uh, 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 the to, to the Iranians and to uh, 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 the other the, 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 the Houthis, and they were saying, you know, you, you really uh, <laughs> well, Russia did not want that to pass, but even Russia would not veto that resolution, despite the fact that Iran very much wanted them to do it, but they didn't do it uh, because it was just uh, uh, politically unwise for them to do that. Mm-hmm. When we come back, I want to hear from Professor Rad to talk about uh, his interpretation of uh, what relations, if any, exist between uh, Russia. Uh, we know that, that Russia is close to Iran, but is a Russia, uh, are, are they engaged in any direct communication with any of these three entities that we're talking about this evening? Uh, the Hamas, the Houthis, and Hezbollah. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8029. That's the phone number. Again, radio only tonight. Close your eyes and just think about what we all look like. 
We will be back with more discussion. And by the way, in the second hour tonight, we'll be joined by Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics and Robin Johnson of Monmouth College to talk about Iowa. This is Carol Platt-Lebow for townhall.com. Claudine Gay has now stepped down as Harvard's president, though she still will collect the same hefty $900,000 salary. Attempting to salvage Gay's reputation, her supporters have accused her critics of hypocrisy. They argue Claudine Gay's detractors attributed her promotion to her race and gender and now are using her ouster to undermine DEI efforts. The claim is just projection. It's Gay's supporters who are guilty of race-conscious behavior. When Gay was named president of Harvard, it was her fans who emphasized her sex and color. She was forced out for reasons having nothing to do with either. Gay's fans charged that her critics want a world where she can't win because of her immutable characteristics. Actually, they want one where she can't lose because of them. Either would be noxious, discounting individual choices and abilities in favor of stereotypes and group rights. That's not the American way. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Matthew. Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey. Want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Back and uh, we continue with John Allen Williams, who joins us from Georgia, and uh, Benjamin Rad, who joins us uh, from Southern California, where I can I can just bet he's got the best weather of anybody probably listening to the program this evening. Uh, it's bitter cold here in the Midwest, and it probably isn't real warm down there in Georgia at this time of the year. But Benjamin, back to you about uh, about Russia and uh, where do they fit into this? big-picture discussion we're having tonight? Well, Russia really serves to provide political and diplomatic cover 
for Iran's overtures in the region and its uh, and its adventures, I should say. So we've seen it, as Professor Williams mentioned, at the UN, where um, resolutions are either held up or, um, in, in this case, there was uh, Russia had an abstention when it came to condemning the Houthi activities. But nevertheless, we see that that is where Iran is able to get a voice in a broader international affairs between the regional and greater powers mm-hmm. is through the Russians. And then also, it's the Russians who are providing military cover for Iran's activities in Syria. Um, we know that the pipeline that, that allows Iran to ship arms to Hezbollah and from there to Hamas and other groups goes through Syria. And this is something that the Syrian government allows and the Russian military allows to take place. Um, uh, yeah, that's so. So they're 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 facilitating uh, that situation as well. Now, one thing that I've obviously gleaned in the last you know forty fifty years is that one reason why a lot of countries and people in the Middle East do not like the United States or hate the United States uh, is because of our close association with Israel. My question tonight is. Is it our close association with Saudi Arabia that's also viewed as as a horrible thing for the rest of the Middle East? Well, for Bin Laden, we know that was the case. He, in fact, in in his one of his manifestos, his speeches before nine eleven, um, in the late nineties, he cited the close alliance of the United States and the Saudis. He holds the Saudis responsible for the desecration of Holy Land. That's where the two. Holy cities of Mecca and Medina are located, the, the heart of the Muslim world. And for the Salafists and others of that ilk, absolutely, the Saudi uh, alliance with the United States and the fact that there were U.S. forces present on what they consider holy soil was an affront to them. And is it because, again, one of the early assessments of why Hamas struck Israel when they struck them was that the United States was working with uh, Israel and with Saudi Arabia uh, to, to, to draw a closer relationship between the two, and uh, Hamas wanted to do something that would stop those discussions. Is that accurate? That is, that is accurate. A normalization of relations or rapprochement between the Saudis and Israel would be the death knell for the Palestinian national movement and the idea of a two-state solution. It's not to say that it couldn't possibly be resurrected in the future, but it was for the, the idea was that the Saudis recognizing Israel was a carrot that would be dangled and given only if Israel facilitated the creation of a Palestinian state. So for that to happen before statehood would then completely undermine, from Hamas's perspective, the Palestinian nationalist cause, and therefore okay. would be unacceptable. Okay. So I think that explains to most people why why this happened when it happened. I mean, they they're they're doing this because they don't they, they don't want this relationship to exist or certainly to grow. Correct, Correct. Uh, John Allen Williams. To you, uh, when you look at the military situation, if the United States is joined at the hip with Saudi Arabia, which it is, and it's joined at the hip with Israel, which it is. If there was a war that should emerge, and God hope us that it doesn't, but if it did, you would have three very powerful forces on one side, and then you'd add the allies from around the world uh, to that. But my question to you is, who would be rallying to Iran's side? 
Who would be on the other side if a war broke out? Who would be their allies? Well, in terms of having strong military forces in the region, uh, the, the Israel and, and the United States and, and the Saudis, mainly the U.S. and Israel. Uh, but, you know, uh, one of the warships that was firing uh, uh, missiles and attacking the Houthis was, was British. Uh, right. But other forces in the West would be there. But I, I think I think the likelihood of, of any more sort of major conflict inside Israel or near Israel is uh, is likely mainly to be involving just just Israel. They can take care of themselves militarily. Their Israeli defense forces are, are still quite good, although they were not uh, uh, positioned properly and didn't uh, were not aware uh, at the tactical level of what was about to happen from uh, uh, from from Hamas. Uh, but the question in terms of the, of the war, and it goes to Professor Rod's comments about the political aspects, is that the, the war against the Houthis is, is, is military. This is straightforward. You, you have rockets. We're going to destroy your rockets so you can't attack ships. We're not going to win your hearts and minds. We don't need a political conversion. In Gaza, the problem that Israel has before it is much more difficult because they have to use the military to reduce the power and influence of an entrenched political force that has a lot of supporters. And I, I don't know how that how that ends. And I'd be really interested to know if Professor Rod has some kind of story that could be told that would result in, in uh, uh, what would have to happen that things would turn out reasonably well in Gaza. And, uh, and what, what, by definition, would that be? I don't know what Israel's plans are after the war. Mm -hmm. Are they going to try to get rid of all the uh, ethnically cleansed, the Palestinians who are there? There are some in Israel who would. And and the Netanyahu government in Israel is very much uh, right-wing and uncompromising. And some of the uh, right-wing Israeli politicians would be more than happy to kick all the Palestinians out of the West Bank as well as out of Gaza, which is just, you know, horrible. And we are not joined at the hip with Israel. We, uh, President Biden and Netanyahu, are barely getting along at the moment because Netanyahu is not doing the kinds of things he needs to do, like releasing the uh, uh, funds that the Palestinians are due uh, so they can uh, let their government run on the West Bank, etc. And uh, although Biden supports the fact that they have to fight, the rules of engagement that the Israeli military has used in Gaza are quite are quite liberal, and the sorts of damage that we are seeing is is uh, is uh, I think strategically in the long run is going to be very deleterious. Let me Israel. let me mention that uh, Professor Rod became a, a a frequent and a popular guest on this program in the wake of the October seventh attack. So he's uh, he doesn't have as many appearances on this program as you do, John Allen Williams. But Professor yeah, but Rod, my, but my professor, t my question to <laughs> Professor Rad is: Bring us up to date on where you think things are regarding the war that that uh, that's going on right now. Well, the latest developments centered around the issue of the hostages, which is really at the core of what Israel needs to resolve first is that um, there's an agreement to allow for medicinal aid to get to the hostages. This would be the first time that this would, would be done since they were taken. And Israel 
is facing a lot of domestic pressure, a lot of internal pressure from the families of hostages and large numbers of, of the Israeli public who very much are upset with Netanyahu and his decision to lose what they see as lose focus uh, of the primary military objective, which is to free the hostages, and then secondly, to uh, dismantle the Hamas military and political infrastructure. Netanyahu has not, the fact that we've heard and seen nothing of the hostages that are remaining there um, since the last exchange happened in December, is disheartening to these to much of the Israeli public, and uh, they stage daily campaigns, protests, rallies uh, in, throughout Israel, in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem. Uh, you can't avoid it. It's become the cause for the public and, and the main focus for voters going forward. And that's something Netanyahu is very cognizant of, but hasn't done anything really to address directly. If there were an election next week in Israel, would Netanyahu make it, Professor Red? It doesn't seem like he would. It, the, the, the polls show that the support for him is not there. Um, antagonizing the United States, President Biden is not there. You have two very radical members of his cabinet who have made some incendiary, and I'll say racist remarks uh, pertaining to the Palestinians and Arabs in general. And the perception is that, you know, if Netanyahu is not delivering on the hostages front and is causing a straining relations with the U.S. and then has these two, uh, you know, um, uh, verbal bomb throwers in the cabinet, then this is an ineffective government and one that should no longer be in leadership. John L. Williams, has the United States uh, played fair with Netanyahu over the last uh, three months? Well, of course, President Biden went right on over there and <clears throat> gave him a big bear hug. That wasn't just entirely in terms of supporting him. I think he also thought he might have some restraining influence on him and what sort of operations the army would do in, in Gaza. That latter thing does not appear to have happened. And you, find, you sense the U.S. Is, is pulling away and requesting and maybe haven't yet got them to demanding uh, that the Israelis change their tactics in that area. And they, without pressure, there doesn't appear they're likely to, to do that. And as a result, we have a humanitarian catastrophe that is well underway, and we may be having a famine before too long. And there's a large number of people there. They have no place to go. Israel says go to the south, and they start attacking the south. It's difficult. I, mean, it's, I can't imagine the horror of living there now. Is there any country in the region uh, that wants to uh, throw a, a further lifeline uh, to the Palestinian cause? That's the question we do have to break. When we come back, we'll get reaction from John Allen Williams and also from Benjamin Rand. Special guest tonight, I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us. Visit Dennis Prager. Sign up today for an unforgettable experience in Israel this October. Mike Gallagher and I are traveling to the Holy Land on the Stand with Israel tour with our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. This trip of a lifetime to Israel is one you don't want to miss. Register today before it's too late at StandWithIsraelTour.com, StandWithIsraelTour.com, or call 855-565-5519, 855-565-5519. You're smart, you're busy, and don't have time to waste on the mainstream media cycle. Salem News Channel. 
breaks that cycle. Topics that matter from hosts worth watching. Dinesh D'Souza, Andrew Wilkow, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. Salem News Channel, not like the other guys. Watch anytime on any screen, free, 24-7. Find everything you need to know at snc.tv. That's snc.tv. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. (laughs) The dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. (laughs) So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry. We're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably... Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Back, we continue with uh, Beyond the Beltway, and uh, uh, Benjamin Rad is here along with uh, John Allen Williams. And John Allen Williams, uh, as I mentioned to you, has a, uh, a book uh, called National Security: The Policymakers, the Processes, and Politics, Sixth Edition. John, what what's uh, what? When do you write a new edition? Well, when the old one stops uh, telling because things okay. have changed, and the whole world turned upside down since we wrote the fifth edition. Yeah, uh, you know the the original author Sam Sarkeesian, an old longtime friend of yours, right. the late mm-hmm. Sam Sarkeesian. Uh, the emphasis was on uh, unconventional warfare. Now we did conventional for well warfare well, but we didn't really understand or do well with low intensity conflict. Well. What has happened between the fifth and the sixth editions is that we have the rise of, uh, of peer competitors and near-peer competitors, such as China, uh, Russia, and Iran, which are powerful in their own right, especially close to, close to home, and that the concern becomes with conventional warfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, an example of that is what's going on now uh, in 
in Ukraine, of course, where uh, we don't have the industrial capacity to supply what they need, and in the Red Sea, where we find that having a powerful navy is a really useful thing, even without worrying about competition (laughs) directly against the Soviets, the conventional warfare is there. So that's, you know, that's kind of how we we wrote it. When when, when we talk about this uh, situation involving the international uh, waterways and the sea lanes, uh, they refer to international law. Professor Rad, do you, uh, can you give us any assessment as to what that rule means insofar as the uh, the shipment of uh, commercial uh, vessels? Well, there is a uh, international right to navigate waterways that are not part of any sovereign state or territory. Mm-hmm. And so what we have in the Red Sea is is one of those waterways. There's uh, international maritime laws that really that allow for the safe and free passage unfettered access of commercial ships and it's why the international community as a whole has been so focused on this and why we saw neither China nor Russia abstaining on the last vote at the Security Council that came up because they're all suffering as a consequence of increased shipping costs, shipping times, increased insurance rates from the activities that the Houthis are engaged in. It's recognized internationally as an illegal activity or operation being conducted because, by the Houthis. Because what the Houthis are doing, they are forcing these commercial shipping companies to find other ways to deliver their their their, their contents, and it involves uh, going around the Suez Canal or finding some other way to get uh, the goods to uh, those that uh, would normally need the Suez Canal. So it, it as you say, it's it's causing a pain in the butt to a lot of uh, entities and corporations, and there's a lot of money being lost uh, by what the Houthis are doing. Indeed, that's Absolutely. right. Yeah, Freedom of navigation. Yeah critical to a, to a functioning world economy. Right. And when somebody like China, for example, declares that the entire South China Sea is actually a Chinese lake, uh, you have the United States right. Navy going through there in what they call freedom of navigation operations, just to continue the precedent that it's, it's open for free trade. But I've it's a, a big problem. I've, I've a, I asked a question uh, to everybody, but to Professor Rad uh, about uh, Russia, uh, we've not mentioned China at all. Is China involved at all in any of the discussions of these uh, three, uh, uh, you know, groups that we're referring to, these terrorist groups? The Chinese are not a part of these negotiations. We saw the Chinese attempt to insert themselves in helping the Saudis and the Iranians mend ties and um, restore diplomatic relations, which took place last summer. Those two countries have been uh, estranged, to put it mildly. They've been enemies for for quite a while. And with the assistance of the Chinese or their efforts, they were able to mend at least some of those divisions. But the China doesn't have a footprint in the region as much as it wants to. Mm-hmm. Historically, it has not, and it's been it's been trying to find a way to make itself relevant. They are primarily focusing their attention on Africa. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. That's part of their Belt and Road Initiative. And uh, back to, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but uh, I want to turn to uh, John Allen Williams. What's next? Uh, again, the United States, United Kingdom, and, and several other uh, you know allied nations. Uh, we were part of these these strikes, these significant strikes last week against uh, the Houthi rebels. Uh, what's next, or are we just going to be continue to play uh, cat and mouse with these folks? I mean, the leader of the Houthis is he has vowed to keep the attacks on the ships uh, ongoing as long as the United States is uh, engaging in assisting Israel. 
Well, What's next? I don't think we could blackmail by by that. I think he's going to find out very soon that uh, the, the full reign of power is going to be coming down on the, every one of those sites where the rockets are, and that's or a, a, that's a or a missile up his butt. <laughs> well, all right, Bruce. <laughs> My question: the question is, you were Bruce, you were talking about somebody throwing a lifeline to the Palestinians. Yes, they are going to need it after this war stops which it eventually will. And they are going to be living in uh, a, ca- a catastrophic wasteland. Now, what is Israel going to, to do to help solve that problem? What are they going to permit others to do? Because this is very much an Israel's issue, interest, right. vital national interest, that they not have a hostile Gaza like, like, like they had that is determined to destroy Israel. They will not permit it. And if we have a Palestinian state, it's not going to be able to have any kind of military force that will threaten Israel, or Israel would not let it happen. Benjamin Rod, what do you think happens next? Look, look into the crystal ball for the next six months. What are the, uh, what are the shifts, the ups and downs we're likely to see? Well, on the situation, the war with Israel and Hamas, I think what we will see is eventually um, the Egyptians, the Jordanians, the Saudis, a coalition of Arab partners helping to essentially bring that to a close, a new leadership uh, governance structure that involves elements of the Palestinian Authority with security guarantees provided by the Arabs, maybe NATO or United States and some other regional allies, and Hamas removed from government, though not completely eliminated because it's an ideology. And we've heard time and time again, you can't defeat an idea, only the means by which the idea can propagate. So that's where we might end up. Okay. Benjamin Rad uh, from UCLA, thank you very much, Benjamin, for joining us tonight. John Allen Williams, uh, thank you very much, Emeritus from Loyola University, Chicago. We generally appreciate your insight into this very important issue. We'll be back in another hour with Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics and with uh, Scott Johnson. Thank you. Robin Johnson. This is Carol Platt-Lebow for townhall.com. Claudine Gay has now stepped down as Harvard's president, though she still will collect the same hefty $900,000 salary. Attempting to salvage Gay's reputation, her supporters have accused her critics of hypocrisy. They argue Claudine Gay's detractors attributed her promotion to her race and gender and now are using her ouster to undermine DEI efforts. The claim is just projection. It's Gay's supporters who are guilty of race-conscious behavior. When Gay was named president of Harvard, it was her fans who emphasized her sex and color. She was forced out for reasons having nothing to do with either. Gay's fans charged that her critics won a world where she can't win because of her immutable characteristics. Actually, they want one where she can't lose because of them. Either would be noxious, discounting individual choices and abilities in favor of stereotypes and group rights. That's not the American way. TV news. It's a love-hate relationship. Well, let's be honest. More hate. We agree. That's why we're different. Salem News Channel has assembled the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. Home to Charlie Kirk, Hugh Hewitt, Eric Metaxas, and more. There's finally a place on TV for lovers of freedom like you. Watch anytime, on any screen, free, 24-7. Find what you're looking for at snc.tv. That's snc.tv. 
As a local business owner, you get called every week by marketing companies. We get it. We have hundreds of satisfied customers. Here's what a satisfied client recently said. Open enrollment is going great. We're hitting record numbers. Thank you so much for this report. It really is amazing to see how the marketing is really shaping our enrollment around the city. If you're a local business and ready for the next step, visit surroundchicago.com right now. Our experts are ready to help you take your marketing to the next level. Visit surroundchicago.com today. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's Tip for Kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. How long does it take to get to the forest? That's not far. What are we going to do? Hike? Sure. Are we there yet? Yep. It's a short drive from your neighborhood to your naturehood. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Forest Service. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad <laughs> joke. Corny, groan-worthy but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. (laughs) So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's Tip for Kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Chris Dumont back for hour number two of Beyond the Beltway this evening. Tonight's broadcast is radio only. We've got some uh, TV technical issues uh, this evening, so it'll be radio only. And that's for all of our radio stations, wherever you're listening around the country, or if you're listening on beyondthebeltway.com or on YouTube or on Facebook Live. Again, radio, you'll just have to uh, close your eyes, imagine what we look like this evening. But again, uh, you won't be losing much. What can I say? Uh, in this hour, we will be joined by uh, two political experts, and we'll be talking about what is happening in the great uh, Hawkeye state of Iowa uh, tomorrow with the caucuses. And Tom Bevan joins us. He is the editor and co-founder of Real Clear Politics. Tom, nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway. Great to be with you, Bruce. And Robin Johnson joins us. He is the host of Heartland Politics. That's on WVIK Public Radio in the Quad Cities. And uh, he is also a political science professor at Monmouth College, uh, which is just a stone's throw from uh, the state of Iowa. And uh, Robin, nice to have you back on the program. Thank you very much, Bruce. Good to be back. I'd like to begin by, uh, it seems to me that uh, in watching all the Sunday shows today, that the big news tomorrow is going to be about weather. (laughs) <laughs> and then the second yeah. weather is whether or not Nikki Haley uh, runs a, a close second 
to Donald Trump. Do you see anything, uh, uh, Robin, from your perspective uh, uh, in Monmouth, Illinois, that uh, is going to suggest that there's any surprise tomorrow? I don't think so, Bruce. Uh, I think uh, I, I've been talking to a lot of my contacts across the river in the Republican Party, and, and it seems like uh, you know Trump's going to win this uh, pretty big tomorrow, uh, in spite of the weather. Uh, his supporters are very committed, as you know, and um, there was some talk about you know if if uh, whatever candidate had the most four wheel drive vehicles to get supporters in, but you know Trump's a lot more organized this time than he was uh, back in 2016. So I don't. I don't think there's going to be any big surprises, although a lot of folks feel like the weather is a wild card here that could maybe change things a little bit. But um, the question is whether Trump gets over 50 percent, number one, and then who comes in second place. Now, at the moment, uh, the Des Moines Register, in, in, con- in concert with NBC News, they have come out with their final poll of uh, the race, and it has Trump at uh, 48 percent, Nikki Haley at 20 percent. DeSantis at 16%, and Vivek Ramaswamy at 8%. Now, again, uh, uh, Tom, I don't want to have you uh, necessarily analyze someone else's polls because you do polls for a living, but I think all your polls have basically shown the same thing, have they not? They have. I mean, actually, that, that Des Moines Register poll is the only poll of the Six that have been taken since the beginning of the year that has Trump under 50 percent. Every other uh-huh. poll has him at 51 or higher. Right. Um, so he's at 52 and a half in our average. Haley's at 18.7 in our average. DeSantis at 15.5. So, so Trump's at about a, a 30, almost 34 point lead um, on the eve of, of the caucuses, which you know, as Robin mentioned, I mean, it, it is a it's the strongest lead that we've seen for a non-incumbent. And in, mm-hmm. even in that sense, Trump is sort of a quasi-incumbent, I think, in this race. Um, and no so, one has ever broken 50% historically. Right. And the, and the biggest win, I think, has been uh, Dole in 96 was about a 12-point win mm-hmm. uh, in the Iowa caucuses. So Trump's going to, he should easily beat that. Um, but I do think, look, I do think there is a chance for, for him to, underperform his polls perhaps and for you know DeSantis or Haley to overperform their polls and and the question is by how much and and whether that's enough to generate some sort of narrative which the media would love uh you know that that so and so is surging and Trump is showing vulnerability and off we go to New Hampshire so um i think the margin of victory is is what matters here for Trump and if it's if it's uh if it's as substantial as the polls suggest i think he's he's going to be uh, you know, moving on to New Hampshire stronger than he's ever been. Isn't the pundits, back to you, uh, uh, Robin, uh, in this particular case, and again, you know, we've been doing it for, we've been talking about this race for at least the last six months. So this is a long lead up where uh, we all expect that the final decision uh, or race is going to be between Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden. And we're just, when I say we, I mean everyone in the political media world is basically t- trying to find different ways to create a scenario where there's a real horse race, when in reality, maybe there isn't. It hasn't been ever and won't be ever. Do you agree with that? We're, yeah, hoping, I mean, I, we're I, hoping for a race, but, but there's no indication that there is a race. Right. I, I mean, I... I don't see it yet. I mean, there, there, early on, there was a thought that Ron DeSantis was uh, in a good position 
by getting some major evangelical support in Iowa, mm-hmm. and then the governor uh, Governor Reynolds endorsed. Yeah, but he just he just didn't seem very comfortable out on the trail. Uh, and you know, he visited every county in the state that what they call the full Grassley. And I'm surprised. Uh, I still think there could, there's a chance that this organization that he has could come through and vault him in the second place. But um, and Haley, uh, a lot of folks are talking about her momentum, and typically the momentum candidate is the one who finishes stronger. Maybe that'll happen. But I just don't see him getting that close to Trump. Uh, it, it, close enough, even within 20 points. I, I, I'm just not seeing it. And on the Democratic side, of course, they pulled the caucus here, which uh, left a lot of rural folks upset, which I don't blame them. Uh, and um, so it's, yeah, it's looking like a rematch, which is the poll show uh, not too many folks are too thrilled about. Uh, Tom, your response, uh, response to my uh, my question that we're just we're just trying to find a way to, to keep people interested when in reality uh, <laughs> we could probably write the, uh, the the November the November results today. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it has been a situation where um, I think initially there was some there there was some evidence that there were people who were some Republican voters who were open to an alternative from Trump, right? I I, I don't think that was just a, a something that the media conjured out of thin mm-hmm. air, but I think a combination of things. I think I think the way that these indictments have come down, the way that they've been viewed as as political by the GOP base, has galvanized people to Trump, even people who may have been open to voting for someone else. And then I think the DeSantis campaign just run a they ran a fundamentally flawed campaign. Their theory of the case was completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and his inability to win over those Trump skeptical voters, those soft, you know, Trump supporters, uh, DeSantis, he, he's, it's not for lack of trying, but, but his message just was not enough. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that ended up, I think you, and you've seen, you've seen it in the polls, it's reflected in the polls that he just hasn't, he hasn't done the job there. And so for the but what, of but, reasons, yeah, that's but, why Trump's where he is. But what he has done is basically what Jeb Bush did eight years ago. And that is, uh, initially carry with him this persona that he is, you know, the, the guy where everybody should put their early money. Uh, he certainly has not been without money in this race. Uh, but that money just has not paid off, as 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 you say. They 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 bet on this guy, and uh, you know he's 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 fading not only in the uh, in the stretch, he's been fading for most of the campaign. He has, and I mean, again, you know, he hired the Jeff Rowe, the run who guy who ran Ted Cruz's campaign, to run basically yeah. the same campaign. It didn't work four years ago. It didn't work this time. Right. We're going to pause right now. Uh, music is playing, so we'll be right back. Tom Bevan. And uh, Robin Johnson joining us tonight. We're talking about Campaign 24 tonight. Obviously, we're talking about Iowa, but we'll talk about a lot more when we continue. I'm Bruce Dumont. As a local business owner, you get called every week by marketing companies. We get it. We have hundreds of satisfied customers. Here's what a satisfied client recently said. Open enrollment is going great. We're hitting record numbers. Thank you so much for this report. It really is amazing to see how the marketing is really shaping our enrollment around the city. If you're a local business and ready for the next step, visit surroundchicago.com right now. Our experts are ready to help you take your marketing to the next level. Visit surroundchicago.com today. 
In the new video series, Fault Lines, Professor Vodi Bauckham examines the threat of woke social doctrine versus biblical justice. The religion of anti-racism has no redemption. We have to be right about what God requires in this critical moment. Discover the fault lines beneath today's cultural divide. What God are you trying to appease? Fault Lines, the 10-part video series and essential six-part study guide. Available at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Beyond the Beltway, coast to coast and border to border, around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Radio only tonight, but you can find us on those video sources as well. Uh, Robin Johnson uh, joins us. He is a a talk show host uh, from uh, the Quad Cities, also uh, with Monmouth College, where he's been a college professor for quite some time. And Tom Bevan is the founder and uh, co-founder and the editor of Real Clear Politics, who has been a... uh, a, uh, periodic guest used to be a periodic almost every every month on this program but again he came up with the idea of real clear politics several years ago and he has turned it into uh, the place for for media to go to find out what's happening in the world and uh, Tom I uh, when I have you on this program I congratulate you because uh, uh, I was there at the beginning and you've done a miraculous job in uh, in, in, in keeping your uh, your brand alive and, and growing so congratulations to you I appreciate that, Bruce, and I, I appreciate your support from early on when nobody knew who we were. Yeah, well, you know, I would just say, this is guy, this guy's from Evanston, Illinois. He's got this idea. How about, by the way, for those who are, uh, and again, if if you're listening 
and and you like politics and you you're a real political junkie real clear politics is for you it's not for someone that's casually interested in politics someone that well you're casually interested and you want to know a lot uh, you can go there but again this is for the this is for the hardcore political junkies and how many different polls are you keeping track of uh, every day and does it does it obviously it changes from state to state does it not yeah, I mean, we, we, we're aggregating all the polls, all the public polls that are available. And we, we have people who that, that is all they do 24-7 and get those loaded into our system and get, a, you know, the alerts sent out to our readers and, and via social media and the like. And so obviously things have been picking up as we get into to primary season here. And so, you know, it's all the usual. Uh, there are a lot of national polls, a lot of early state polls, and then there's some battleground state polls as well. And and we're starting to get some more, a little bit more on some of the, some of the races that are shaping up, governor races, Senate races uh, for, for 2024. So it's going to be a big year. Now, usually the networks, uh, they tout the national polls. But really at this point, uh, the, the national poll is more about attracting potential fund funders to the campaign, is it not? It, it, you have to show at least some degree of support. Yeah, I mean, I think the national polls give you a sort of general idea, a general sentiment, but we don't have national elections at, right. in the primaries or in the general election. So right. it really does matter more where the candidates are in these particular states. And, and, yeah, and, yeah in, the, in the battlegrounds, it's going to be the big six that it's been for the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Arizona, uh, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, and obviously for, for the primaries, it's it's these early states that are going to mm-hmm. matter the most. Right, uh, Robin. Going back to you, when you uh, when you look at, at what's happening in in, in Iowa, the, the, you've interviewed a number of the candidates along the way. What are the issues that the voters are talking about with these folks? Well, I think I think the border is a top concern by uh, voters in Iowa. Uh, e- even though Iowa's not a border state, obviously, I think. Uh, I think there's a fear of uh, uh, of it just be, being a, a, a lack of control uh, there. Uh, I think you mentioned. I think the key event in this race that Tom mentioned. Uh, if you look back, we look back at this from a historical perspective. It's going to be the indictments, uh, mm-hmm. whether you, rightly or wrongly, those did change the shape of this race, and that's a topic of concern. I think trade and manufacturing continues to be something that people talk a lot about, especially in eastern Iowa, where I'm close to, where that you hear a lot about. And, um, I mean, those are, other than just discontent with the Biden administration, I think those are the main issues um, that I'm hearing anyway. But how much, how, how much have the indictments really affected? I mean, everybody thought that they were going to have a great effect. But, again, what, we, what we've learned is those indictments don't seem to have had – they have not slowed Donald Trump down. If anything, they've boosted him. I mean, are you no, flabbergasted I, by I mean. that? Uh, well, it just it, it's it's the you know the state of the Republican primary, the voter right now, which is firmly seems to be in Trump's grasp, and it's it's perceived as being unfair and weaponizing the federal government unfairly against him, and uh, that's what these people see. That's how they feel, and the the, the certain amount of the party has have, def, have definitely jumped. To Trump's defense, uh, and he's gained by that. So I, I, like I say, I think when we look back on this, that could be the key moment 
at least to the primaries, uh, Republican primary, and perhaps in the entire election. Would the next thing then, uh, Tom, in your opinion, be uh, what is going to be the first poll after Donald Trump or if Donald Trump is convicted on, in any of these cases? Is that going to be the next potential you know, watershed that uh, might affect things? I mean, I mean, it might. And there's the, there is some data to suggest that if Trump is actually convicted of something, that that would have an impact on his standing in the general election. But honestly, you know, I'll believe that when I see it. I, I don't know that it's going to matter at all to Republicans. Um, Democrats are already going to turn out and vote against him in, in, you know, huge numbers. And the question is, how, how, how many independents are going to say, you know, uh, oh, Donald Trump's been convicted of one of these counts, and therefore I'm not going to vote for him, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. I just, you know, if, if, if you haven't been asleep for the last eight years, you, you've seen this pattern over and over and over again where, the Democrats and the media sort of overplay their hand. Trump plays the victim and is able to say that he, you know, the election was stolen. It was rigged. It was this. It was that. And and people, you know, particularly Republicans, Galvin, but even some even independents yeah. um, in some of the polls have shown that they think that he's been mistreated or that yeah. uh, some of these charges are, are you know, more political than they are uh, criminal. Well, that's one of the big surprises in these polls uh, thus far. It's it's the independence and uh, uh, the increased number of African Americans and the increased number of Hispanics who seem to be all gravitating. Even at least I've heard, but I have not. I don't know what poll we're talking about. At least a lot of more women are gravitating to Donald Trump. Is that is that poll consistent anywhere? Is that to me? Yeah. Um, look, I think there's when you look at it, these polls in the aggregate, um, I do think that, uh, well, a couple things. Trump has shown surprising strength with young voters, which has been, you know, sort of yeah. mystifying uh, because that was a group that was very solidly in Biden's camp in 2020. Um, and to see them sort of initially when we started getting polls suggesting that we thought, oh, these are outliers. This is not yeah. this is not real, but it's been replicated enough to now to the point where I think there is some legitimacy there. Same thing with African-Americans. And again, I, you know, most of this, I think, is driven by the economy, by inflation. It's more about it's more about, uh, you know, class versus ideology. Um, folks are desperately upset with with the way things are going, particularly on the economy and with inflation. And I think that's what. You know, young people are finding it hard to, to you know, work a single job and be able to make ends meet. Families are struggling. Um, and the Biden administration, uh, they haven't, I, I don't know that they've addressed that issue fully. They keep saying everything's great and look at these great numbers. But, you know, in politics, perception is reality. And the perception out there is that the economy is not that great. Mm -hmm. People are really struggling. Robin, do you think that the Republican Party has now become the blue, blue collar party? Definitely. I'm, I'm just reading a book by Patrick Ruffini, a Republican consultant, uh, and it talks about the Republicans being a, a multiracial populist coalition. And I was just going to say that one of the fascinating things to me when these votes start being uh, uh, cast here uh, in the Republican primaries in the next couple weeks is going to be whether there's an increase in primary voting by African Americans and Hispanics. Um, there's definite, definite, it, it, definite shift in the last two elections in 2022 
where Trump did uh, marginally better among African Americans and Hispanics. And then uh, the same thing happened in congressional races along the border in Texas and in Florida, where Hispanics uh, uh, voted more Republican. And I really think if this uh, uh, working class coalition, which started with just working class whites, um, broadens to African Americans and Hispanics, even if it's just a little bit, boy, that's going to create a lot of problems uh, for Democrats, uh, especially uh, at the presidential level and and at con- congressional uh, and gubernatorial levels. I heard it on one of the Sunday shows today uh, saying that there's an additional 100,000 Republican voters in Iowa than there was four years ago. That's, that, that, that's a big number. Yeah, and um, I, 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 I've seen that. Uh, the, the number of Democrats has slowly declined, and independence has increased along with Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, the chairman of the Iowa State Party came on my radio show, uh, Jeff Kaufman, and said uh, the Republican Party is now a blue-collar party. Mm-hmm. And I think that certainly uh, has played out that way. And what the Democrats, I think, are, are failing to realize is there's a lot more uh, Americans without college degrees than with. And uh, the Democrats have definitely gone to a more uh, a party dominated by the college, uh, those with college degrees. But it's mm-hmm. a numbers game, yeah. and they haven't seemed as able to go back. I think Biden's tried with some of his policies that they've they passed to appeal to the working class, but mm-hmm. it just hasn't worked out that way. And as Tom said, I think this inflation issue is is one of the major culprits. Well, Ron DeSantis obviously has announced already that uh, as soon as the caucuses, I guess, are half over, uh, he will be uh, hightailing it to South Carolina. He is not going to go to New Hampshire, where he's, uh, I think he's polling in fourth place behind uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. And uh, so he's going right to South Carolina, thinking that he's going to jump in and surprise Nikki Haley in her home base, which uh, I I just, uh, I'm surprised that she's, not doing better in her home state, which means there may be a lot of people there that know things about Nikki Haley that the rest of the Republican Party does not. Anyway, we'll come back. We'll talk about New Hampshire, South Carolina, and the big, big picture down the road, and also a few other surprises. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. In the new video series, Fault Lines, Professor Vody Bauckham examines the threat of woke social doctrine versus biblical justice. The religion of anti-racism has no redemption. We have to be right about what God requires in this critical moment. Discover the fault lines beneath today's cultural divide. What God are you trying to appease? Fault Lines, the 10-part video series and essential six-part study guide. Available at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Feel like you're trying to push a boulder uphill wearing skates? If you run or manage a local business today, you're challenged like never before. We get it, and we want to help. We're Salem Surround. We're a full-service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day, night, and everywhere they might be. If you're a local business and want to see what Salem Surround can do for you, visit SurroundChicago.com. Remember to visit SurroundChicago.com today. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. 
Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. We continue with Beyond the Beltway. I'm Bruce Dumont from Coast to Coast, Border to Border, and Around the World at BeyondTheBeltway.com. And in this portion, uh, we're going to let each of our guests take a moment to introduce themselves more thoroughly than I have done it. And Robin Johnson, let's go to you. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I've uh, I've been a host of a radio show going back close to 10 years now. I started out uh, in Burlington, and I've been with WVIK Public Radio uh, since the 2020 uh, fall presidential race. Uh, I've also taught part-time at Monmouth College Political Science Department since 2000. And uh, I teach a course on Midwest politics, which is the only one we're aware of that uh, mm-hmm. focuses on the Midwest because of its uh, key role in electing presidents. Right. So um, that's about it. I'm, are, you still planning, and, uh, are you fun. still planning to be out there tomorrow night with uh, some of your classes uh, in the caucuses? Yes, uh, we're going to go. I'm sorry you're not able to join us as you have the last It's going to be a little tough tomorrow. Cycles. But uh, we're, if the roads are cleared off, Bruce, and I think uh, I was able to get out today for the first time in three days. Right. Uh, if they're clear, we're, I'm going to go. I, I wouldn't miss it. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens tomorrow. Now, tell, tell everybody who, who may not know all the intricacies of the Iowa caucus, can anybody vote or can it only, is it only Republicans and only people from Iowa? No, you've got to pre-register uh, uh, t- to be able to vote, and uh, there's talk of Democrats being able to, but you've got to be able to do that ahead of time, and not. I don't. I, th- I think the rules are pr- are fairly strict on that, um, but w- the way it happens is people just gather together uh, in, in a room, and then they split up and go to uh, uh, a, a place uh, w- where each mm-hmm. candidate uh, is, is settled. And um, and then uh, they they count up how many, and then a portion delegates at a yeah. precinct level. That's then uh, and they give uh, little they, they give little speeches, and they try to change people's opinion. 
uh, oh, yeah. during the course of the voting. I mean, it's it, it, uh, having been there a number of times. It, it is a good exercise in democracy and uh, how, how you you count votes after people uh, give their uh, their opinion, which is a good thing. So uh, we'll look forward yeah. to uh, what comes out of the Hawkeye State tomorrow night. Uh, Tom Bevan, yeah. tell us a little bit about your uh, background above and beyond uh, Real Clear Politics. Well, I. Uh... I started, um, I mean, one of the interesting things about Real Clear is that, that neither John McIntyre, my co-founder, nor I were involved in politics or journalism professionally. Yeah. So I graduated from Princeton University with a degree in history, and I was in sales and marketing uh, and advertising for a number of years. I worked at Leo Burnett, actually, downtown yeah. Chicago, Right. Um, but was always a political junkie. And so we, we ended up starting RCP in, in the year 2000. Um, and have uh, you know been sort of plugging away at it ever since. I've also uh, hosted a radio show uh, for for a number of years. Right. And written for the Chicago Sun Times and done some other things. So, um, and yeah, you're on Fox I, a lot, and you're on Fox News a lot. I do. So I do a, a lot, lot of people TV. recognize yep. you for that. Yep. So, well, you've, um, you've had, again, you've had a great career, and again, it's good to hear from both of you. I, I think, Tom, maybe one of the answers to why you are so successful is is maybe because from the get-go, you were not, you didn't come out of the political field. So you might have come out of the political field had you been involved, uh, you know, looking either left or right or, or maybe having an identity, but because you came out of it uh you know, as a historian and as, uh, you know, from a business perspective, uh, you were able to present a very uh, presentable, uh, ba- a balanced presentation of, of uh, the news and the polls, and which has a degree of credibility, which, uh, you know, you can't, you can't buy that. So you, you have earned it, and so congratulations. Uh, a question about the future. Uh, let, let's move now to New Hampshire. Two things in New Hampshire. Joe Biden's name will not be on the ballot for some reason. And I want to talk about that. And also, uh, has there been anything going on with the Dean Phillips in the Democratic primary? Has he been able to uh, make any inroads at all about anything, uh, Tom? I, I don't think Dean Phillips is making, um, you know, much of an impact. Uh, although he did get an endorsement from Bill Ackman, uh, the the. Uh, billionaire who was just involved in the whole clutting gay thing at Harvard. Yeah. And, and there was a story about how he's been blackballed off of MSNBC. I, yeah. I think that just goes to show that, uh, you know, the Democratic Party has done uh, their best to really, and I know rig is a loaded word, but really sort of rig the primary for Biden uh, right. by shifting the calendar around, making South Carolina the first state, not having him uh, on the ballot, he's not. There are no debates. I mean, there's just there's been a complete sort of shutdown of of media coverage. And there was, you know, for RFK. I mean, he was he was going on, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast and some other things. But but that wasn't really well. Recent. How is Robert? What what do we know about the polling that Robert Kennedy is showing around the country? Is he, uh, well, he is he viable in some states? Uh, it well, let's see nationally. Um, when we look at when we look at the four way race, he's he's in fifteen to twenty percent. I mean, a lot of this is going to depend as we look toward a multi candidate general election. How mm-hmm. many states can they get on the ballot? Not easy to get on the ballot in a lot of these states. Right, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of organizing, a lot of work, a lot of money. And so, you know, the question is: so how many states can they get on? And what are those states? It doesn't really matter if 
you know, RFK Jr. gets on the ballot in New York, it matters a great deal if he gets on the ballot in Pennsylvania right. or Michigan or Wisconsin. So, and I, I, we don't know the answers to those questions yet. So I think, um, but I think he, he could potentially be a player. A lot of these folks could be potentially players. Um, Cornell West and certainly no labels is looking at fielding a, a candidate as well. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. I mean, ironically, the more the field splits, the data shows that Trump's lead gets bigger um, right now in a, in a four-way or bigger race. Um, but in a three-way race, it's actually pretty, it has been uh, pretty, pretty darn close with RFK mm-hmm. getting, you know, 15 or 20%. Yep. Well, 15 or 20%, if he gets to, I think, 19%, uh, uh, he, he can, he can beat uh, Ross Perot's record. Didn't, didn't he get about 19% in 92? So, so somewhere in there, but he's, uh, he could be a serious third party candidate, which, which could affect the election in several, uh, battleground states if he takes uh, you know that that amount away from uh, somebody just it just splits the mathematics up uh, a, a question to you about uh, about Biden's Biden will do what was successful for him four years ago he will put all of his eggs in the basket in South Carolina uh, hoping uh, that the political leadership down there which has always been very supportive of him will continue to be to be so but uh, uh, is is he doing very well in South Carolina? Is, is he got a big lead in South Carolina? We don't, honestly, Bruce, we don't have any data in South Carolina. Okay. For the it's too early. Yeah. <laughs> so we do know. In but their primary, their, their, pri- their primary is different. They're, they're on two separate days. The, the Democratic Correct. primary is early in the month of February, and the South early. Carolina primary is later in the month. I do know that. Correct. The Democrats are, are Saturday, February 3rd. The Republicans are three weeks later on, the, on February 24th. Mm-hmm. So we don't really have any data. Uh, but back to New Hampshire, I mean, Biden is still ahead. Even as a write-in candidate, he's getting 58% on our average. Dean Phillips is about uh, 10%. Marianne Williamson's at 5 mm-hmm. So Biden doesn't seem to be uh, – I, I, I doubt he would face any sort of threat in South Carolina. Speaking of being on the ballot, uh, th- this came up uh, last week on our program, but I will repeat it for those that might have missed it or didn't hear the show. Vivek Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy, who was sort of a flash in the pan early in the primary season because of his television appearances, uh, he's been waging his campaign in Iowa, did uh, all 99 counties, uh, is I think third uh, in uh, with with Christie dropping out, I think he's third in New Hampshire at the moment, but he is not going to be on the Illinois ballot. The Illinois primary is March nineteenth, and he's not going to be on the ballot. He did not file the petitions, which I think uh, kind of shocked me because uh, if there's people in Illinois, uh, unless you're unless you can write in Vivek Ramaswamy as a write-in, uh, that's going to be tough for him. Uh, looking, looking ahead, uh, to, uh, to, to beyond South Carolina, beyond South Carolina is the big super Tuesday is the, is there's really kind of, kind of a couple of special super Tuesdays, but, uh, again, does, is it likely that both, uh, candidates, uh, DeSantis and, uh, Vic, Nikki Haley would make it to a super Tuesday race in your view, Tom? given the amount of money that it takes, they'd have to have tremendous momentum. And again, if this continues to be a split decision, uh, it doesn't seem to me that uh, 
the other person is going to have enough, uh, you know, greenbacks to go the go the distance. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, look, Ron DeSantis is is basically you know put everything into Iowa. If he does yeah. not have a good performance there, if he doesn't beat Nikki Haley for second place, if he finishes third, um, unless it's really, really, really close, um, it's going to be hard for him to continue at all. I mean, he's already, as you mentioned, he's already at like six and a half percent in New Hampshire. Um, there's really no path for him moving forward. And so I, I suspect he would drop out. That's going to, I mean, ironically, that will probably strengthen Trump because a lot of DeSantis' supporters yeah. are, you know, people who otherwise like Trump. They're not necessarily going to go to Nikki Haley. I mean, no. Um, and so Ramaswamy supporters also are, I think, overlap with, with Trump supporters. So, uh, you know, now he could probably stay in the race longer because he's not dependent as much on, on money and um, he can sort of just do his thing. But And he's got a lot of money. And spend his own money. Yeah, I mean, if you want to spend his own money, he could do that. I don't know if he's going to do that or not, but I just don't see this getting that. Even if it gets down to a two-person race between Trump and Haley, there's enough support there for Haley. She can't broaden her coalition enough to make it a race. But when we come back, uh, I want to turn to you, Robin Johnson, and uh, continue with Tom Bevan as well. We'll talk more about campaign 2024, and uh, it's it's way, way early in the campaign, but we're going to start it tonight. Who's Trump's running mate? Back shortly. Feel like you're trying to push a boulder uphill wearing skates? If you run or manage a local business today, you're challenged like never before. We get it, and we want to help. We're Salem Surround. We're a full-service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day, night, and everywhere they might be. If you're a local business and want to see what Salem Surround can do for you, visit surroundchicago.com. Remember to visit surroundchicago.com today. Uh Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. (laughs) Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably... Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. 
Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We continue. And a reminder, uh, tomorrow there will be no mail because it is a federal holiday. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day celebration in the United States. So uh, uh, keep that in mind. Uh, And uh, uh, normally we have done programs on Martin Luther King holiday prior to it. But uh, this year we're talking about politics. And uh, Martin Luther King will have to sort of uh, be with many other world leaders and U.S. leaders and have to share the holiday with a mattress sale or some other commercial thing that goes on uh, on the holidays surrounding a presidential or a, a memorable candidate, a memorable person, uh, as was Dr. King. Uh, I want to go back to you because uh, in every campaign, there is a portion of the campaign that deals with running mates. And I know this is very, very early, but I'm going to start with you, uh, Robin Johnson, uh, a, a running mate for uh, – for Donald Trump. And my question is, do you think that DeSantis and Nikki Haley, have they, and, and Vivek as well, have they improved or hurt their chances to be a running mate if Donald Trump should choose them? I, I don't see any of those three uh, being part of it, uh, being on his list. Uh, I, I, you know, I at this point, um, I, I think he would be looking to somebody that the governor of South Dakota's name is mentioned, Christy Noam. Uh, yep. I think Elise Stefanik, the congresswoman from New York, would love to be in that position. Uh, I think Trump will do a different process this time. I don't know. I think he's just going to look for un, un, unquestioned loyalty uh, in a Veep candidate. I don't see any of the three. Uh, other presidential contenders being on that list at this point. So I, I'd have to say they've hurt their chances uh, uh, across the board. Tom Bevan, do you uh, assess any uh, your assessment different? No, I totally agree. I mean, I'd be shocked if he picked, you know, DeSantis. Uh, I'd be shocked if he picked Nikki Haley. I mean, he's been out calling her bird brain. I mean, just um, I, I think he's going to do probably, I mean, Christy Noem, she has issues. Uh, particularly with GOP voters, uh, some in the Republican Party. But, you know, there's I had suggested a while back on Twitter that I thought if he really wanted to, to sort of play some some 3D chess, that he yeah. should go with somebody like like Tulsi Gabbard. Um, mm-hmm. Another name that's been circulating that's a possibility to talk about unquestioned loyalty is Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the right. governor of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, those are a couple other names to sort of keep an eye on. They haven't been mentioned as much. Um, you as, mentioned that Christy Nome has some problems with Republican voters. What are, what are her problems? Well, she she vetoed a transgender bill that you know kept boys from playing in girls' sports and and those sorts of things a while back. She used a form and function veto, and that 
sent people off. Uh, she took a big hit for that. She subsequently turned around and I think passed it later on. There are also some issues that have come out about you know, her personal life that aren't so flattering and may or may not be true, but certainly all that stuff will get will will factor into Well allegedly she has had some sort of a romantic liaison with Corey Lewandowski, Donald Correct. Trump's former uh campaign manager. Is that the is that the rumor yeah. or or yeah. rumor whether it's a fact or rumor, but we do deal with rumor and innuendo and that that could hurt her. <laughs> that is exactly that is rumor and innuendo, but it's it's been documented, it's right. been publicized, it's and it's like a multi year kind of thing so um okay. yeah that may or may not do be you a, think i mean in, in the area we should mention by the way that uh, it would be because donald trump's residence is now florida uh he he really could not or or not likely would pick ron DeSantis. first of all because of all the things he said about DeSantis. but again you cannot have two people from the same state and if you do you relinquish the the electoral votes for that state in the electoral college so you're not likely to to pick her. I mean, uh, pick uh, Ron DeSantis, and uh, you know, whereas uh, you know, someone that uh, I mean, f- frankly, I-, I think a, and again, this is probably people are going to drive off the the road with this one, but I'm going to give you a couple. I think that uh, Ramaswamy is too young. Although I think Ramaswamy would be great because I think Donald Trump wants to look forward, hopefully, as to what the party will still look like a Trump party in the future. And so he wants that loyalist. There's been no one that's more loyal to him in this primary field than Vivek Ramaswamy. He has not said anything against Trump. Trump has said some good things about Vivek Ramaswamy. I think that would be a uh, that would be an eye opener if he were to pick him because he's 38 years old and has, has, has ticked off a lot of people with his personality. I think uh, also, uh, uh, I think Nikki Haley, uh, he'd have to hold his nose and, and uh, do it, but I think she would be a very strong running mate uh, for Donald Trump. A lot of the Trumpsters won't like that. And one other name, again, it's not necessarily from a state that you're going to need because you think it's already a red state, and that is uh, J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance is a running mate, a uh, very strong loyal loyalty to Donald Trump, and I think he would be an interesting uh, uh, candidate for Trump to pick. And uh, if he were to do that, there would be an open U.S. Senate seat in Ohio, and uh, then Vivek Ramaswamy, who lives in Ohio, he could actually run and elect, be elected to a lesser office, the U.S. Senate. So there's an idea. Any thoughts on any of those? Any other names out there? Tom Cotton, perhaps. I don't. I, I mean, I don't. You I think don't it has to be a woman. Do you think it has to be a woman? I, I mean, I, w- I I don't have as high opinion of Ramaswamy as you do. I think he kind of hurt himself in his be- demeanor right. uh, during the no, campaign, I and agree. I think Trump really took off after him in a tweet yesterday, which I think uh, uh, kind of separated, uh, get, put some distance. There. I m- I missed um, that. What did he say about him yesterday? Uh, I missed just, that. Uh, just basically, I think, uh, kind of putting, well, it was a negative tweet. Let's just put it okay, that way. Right, I don't remember right. exactly. But I, I think, I, I guess, I, and I'm not sure Trump thinks this way, but I think a pick of a Hispanic could really, really throw off the dynamics of this race big time. Uh, maybe one of the newly elected congressmen from down along the border or in Florida. 
I mean, again, we're just we're just thinking out loud here. But a, but a pick like that, I think, would really uh, upset the dynamics of the race. It quite definitely a bit. would. It definitely would. On that note, we are out of time. We've uh, made our initial choices. Again, Robin Johnson from Monmouth College. Thank you very much. Tom Bevan, founder, co-founder of Real Clear Politics and the editor. We thank you very much for joining us tonight on this edition of Beyond the Beltway. And our thanks, special thanks to Peter Schiller for doing a great job in uh, engineering and producing tonight's broadcast. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. This is Carol Platt-Lebow for townhall.com. Claudine Gay has now stepped down as Harvard's president, though she still will collect the same hefty $900,000 salary. Attempting to salvage Gay's reputation, her supporters have accused her critics of hypocrisy. They argue Claudine Gay's detractors attributed her promotion to her race and gender and now are using her ouster to undermine DEI efforts. The claim is just projection. It's Gay's supporters who are guilty of race-conscious behavior. When Gay was named president of Harvard, it was her fans who emphasized her sex and color. She was forced out for reasons having nothing to do with either. Gay's fans charged that her critics want a world where she can't win because of her immutable characteristics. Actually, they want one where she can't lose because of them. Either would be noxious, discounting individual choices and abilities in favor of stereotypes and group rights. That's not the American way. TV news. It's a love-hate relationship. Well, let's be honest. More hate. We agree. That's why we're different. Salem News Channel has assembled the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. Home to Charlie Kirk, Hugh Hewitt, Eric Metaxas, and more. There's finally a place on TV for lovers of freedom like you. Watch anytime, on any screen, free, 24-7. Find what you're looking for at snc.tv. That's snc.tv. As a local business owner, you get called every week by marketing companies. We get it. We have hundreds of satisfied customers. Here's what a satisfied client recently said. Open enrollment is going great. We're hitting record numbers. Thank you so much for this report. It really is amazing to see how the marketing is really shaping our enrollment around the city. If you're a local business and ready for the next step, visit surroundchicago.com right now. Our experts are ready to help you take your marketing to the next level. Visit surroundchicago.com today.